gentlemen, welcome back to the Uncaged the Lion podcast. I'm your host, Will Layton, and I'm so thankful that you are tuned in and listening right now. Now, if you're familiar with the Uncaged the Lion movement, then you know that it's our mission and purpose to raise up men of God, raise up men with a lion-hearted masculinity, and bring this type of masculinity back into society. We want to raise men into leaders of their wives and their children, their families, their churches and their communities, and really embrace this mantle of what it means to be a biblical man. So if those things resonate with you, then I would ask you to uh, listen in and subscribe, leave a rating and a review, and go connect with me over on Instagram, very active over there. Um, Go connect with me over on Twitter and all the other social platforms. I'll be leaving uh, links in the show notes. And without further ado, let's dive into what this episode is about here. So we are talking today about a really uh, an interesting topic, a pertinent one, of course, and that's the idea of men without chests. Now, what does this mean? A man without a chest? What do you mean? Well, you see, this term comes from, it actually comes from an essay written by one of the most brilliant men I think to ever live. He's my favorite author. He's one of my favorite theologians, though maybe some wouldn't consider him a theologian. I do. One of the most prophetic voices of the 20th century. And I think one of the greatest writers of all time. Now, the man I'm referring to is none other than Clive Staples Lewis. Some called him Jack. You might know him as C.S. Lewis, of course, the author of The Chronicles of Narnia. But that might be as far as you know about this man. He wrote some children's books that were pretty good, and they were. They're amazing books. But if that's all you know about him and his writing, then I implore you, men, you need to go pick up some other books of his. I don't think there's any single author that has shaped and changed my worldview, my understanding of theology and philosophy, and the way that I'm able to think and write um, more than this man. Uh, He's definitely one of the greatest mentors and uh, role models that I've come to hold dear in my life. Now, C.S. Lewis was, he was a professor of medieval history. I want to say he was at Oxford. It might have been Cambridge. I, I think it was Oxford. And um, he, of course, was very good friends with uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. In fact, you might not know this, but The Lord of the Rings would have never been written if not for C.S. Lewis, because C.S. Lewis encouraged Tolkien to continue writing about these hobbits and these different things. And they had a group called the Inklings. It was a little writing group. And they met, I believe it was weekly they met, and they would go over their writings and critique one another. And Lewis was very fond of J.R.R. Tolkien's stories about these hobbits, and he implored him to continue writing, and he would critique him and help him with it. And and thus, there became the legend of the Lord of the Rings and the whole universe. And J.R.R. Tolkien, a devout Christian, actually led Lewis to Christ. Now, Lewis was a Brilliant, brilliant man, but he was an atheist. He was an angry atheist. 
And it was his own brilliance that ended up being his atheistic downfall because it led him to Christ. His apologetic mind and his ability to reason and come to rational thoughts and and to follow information where it led ultimately led him to God. And J.R.R. Tolkien helped him with that. They would go on long walks around the college and uh, converse with one another. And he ended up uh, in a famous quote, I think it's in his book, Surprised by Joy. He talks about how he was, on that night that he converted, he was the most reluctant and dejected convert in all of Christendom because he so wanted to not believe in God, but he couldn't escape it. The Holy Spirit was chasing this man down, and I'm so thankful he did, because the impact of Lewis is unimaginable. So I want to dig into one of his books. I would consider it a almost a prophetic book. Um, and when I say prophetic, I don't mean necessarily like Bible prophecy, but rather prophetic in the sense that through his wisdom, and I think through the the leading of the Holy Spirit, he was able to put pen to paper words that would ring true throughout the ages, and he was able to accurately predict the exact series of events that would follow based on what was happening in the culture at that time. He was able to quickly analyze and diagnose and see these things and these seeds that were being sowed and what type of fruit that would reap later on. And I don't think anyone did it quite as accurately as, as Lewis did. And so the book that this idea of men without chess comes from, and what I want to talk to you about today, is from a book, a brilliant little book called The Abolition of Man. And man, that is such a good title for, for a book because he, one, he was really good with titles. I mean, he was great with titles and, and just concepts and all these things. I mean, he was I can't speak highly enough about him, but what a perfect title because why is there an Uncaged the Lion podcast today? Why is there this movement? Why are you listening in right now? It's because you recognize that there has been an abolition of man in society. And Lewis wrote this book. I don't have the exact date for you, but it was in the mid uh, the mid 1900s, okay? So the mid 20th century, somewhere in, I want to say somewhere in the 40s, maybe the 50s, but he died in 63 on the same day as JFK. And what he saw happening and the seeds he saw being sown were the seeds of postmodernism, the seeds of feminism, the seeds that would turn into truth decay. Now, Douglas Gruthius has a great um, essay. It might even be a book about this. It's called postmodernism and uh, truth decay, something along those lines. You, you type that in. That was an excellent book, and it talks about this very issue as well. But Lewis wrote about it first, and he saw it coming from miles away. And in the book, The Abolition of Man, and it's a heavy read, and it's a difficult read, but Lewis is able to use allegory and all these things, and I'm not sure that he does it in this book per se, but he's famous for his allegorical ability. Uh, you'll know that in the Chronicles of Narnia, for instance, spoiler alert, if you didn't already know, Aslan, the lion, is a picture of Jesus. And there's allegory riddled throughout it, and it's just brilliant. It's so brilliant. It's a children's books, but they're so good that adults can read them and still gain theological wisdom from it. But in this book, it's kind of a, it's a short book, and it's a bit of a heavy read. 
and he gets into kind of some deep philosophical things. And he talks about how being a medieval professor of you know, medieval history and literature was his life. He was a brilliant author. He talks about how he's seeing in the public schools this book called the Green Book. And it wasn't actually called that, but he didn't want to he didn't want to um, say the actual name. So in the Abolition of Man, he calls it the Green Book. And the authors he gave these fake names to. And it was a book that was being taught in the public schools at, at that time in England. And it was a book promoting relativism. Now, if you had tuned into this previous podcast, I talked about cancel culture and censorship and what's going on and how that's going to affect Christianity and conservative voices and what we're seeing as a result of relativism. I talk about how the Constitution cannot stand when the very populace that it seeks to protect and um, and be the basis for is a populace that has growingly embrace this idea of relativism. And so it's really, it's, it's attacking the very tenets and foundation of that, which the constitution stands upon. So if you want more about that, go and listen to the last podcast. I talk about the battle on the horizon for us gentlemen. But in this book, he talks about the, uh, the, the relativism that was growing, this postmodern ideology that's growing. And he sees it being promoted through this seemingly harmless literature book that he entitles the green book. And he goes and he talks about it and he does a scathing essay, ripping it apart and telling, explaining exactly what this book will lead to, what this type of ideology and teaching will lead to as it's being taught to our young. And it comes in a guise of a harmless form, just, oh, you know, oh, that doesn't sound too bad. Okay, that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. And it's focusing on literature and and this relativism in, in the definition of words. But he sees that this, this ideology is going to have a ripple effect throughout, throughout society and throughout time. And he accurately predicts where it's going. And he calls it the abolition of man because that's what's going to happen. And so I want to read a quote to you here. So that's the, bit, that's the background. That's the backdrop. And now you know a little bit more about Lewis if you didn't know him already. And men, please, it's true when they say that Leaders are readers. If you want to be a great leader, pick up some books and start reading them. It's arrogant to think you can figure it all out on yourself. It's arrogant to think that you might be as smart as these guys before. I'll tell you right now, you're not as smart as C.S. Lewis and nor am I. So learn from the wisdom that these men have acquired throughout time. These great men, these great books, the canon of Western civilization, read them. If they're not on your list, put them on there. And I'll talk more about it. If you want to learn more about some great books to read, I have all kinds of recommendations. And this is one of them. It's a heavy read, though. You might need to read it multiple times. But anyway, here is a quote from it. And I want to break this quote down because this is the heart of, I think it's really the heart of the message of this book. And it's the prophetic, um, his, his vision of what's going to happen to society. And it's exactly what has come true. So I want to talk about that. You'll, you'll be able to hear this and realize All right, so Lewis says in The Abolition of Man, I'm going to read it somewhat slowly to you here. So this is Lewis's apologetic to us. This is warning to us. All right, pay close attention here to what he says. Okay, so this is what Lewis says. Now he says, The operation of the Green Book and its kind is to produce what may be called men without 
chests. A persevering devotion to truth, a nice sense of intellectual honor, cannot be long maintained without the aid of a sentiment. It is not excess of thought, but defect of fertile and generous emotion that marks them out. Their heads are no bigger than the ordinary. It is the atrophy of the chest beneath that makes them seem so. And all the time, such is the tragic comedy of our situation. We continue to clamor for those very qualities we rend- were rendering impossible. You can hardly open a periodical without coming across the statement that what our civilization needs is more drive or dynamism or self-sacrifice or creativity. In a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Wow. Do you hear that? Listen to that last part again and tell me that does not sound like modern man. Like this effeminacy and passivity that has infected modern man. Listen to this last part. We make, he's talking about the culture here, because of these ideals embraced by relativism and postmodernism and feminism, he's talking about the culture has made, listen, we make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. That's a powerful image. And those words cut because those words are true. And we recognize it because we see that today. That's what this whole movement is about, is to counteract that. We want to uncage the lion. We want to make men with chests, not men without chests. And so how do we do that? We do that by creating a foundation within us, a moral and philosophical and spiritual foundation within us that is in line with our creator and in line with absolute truth and absolute morality, because that is the foundation to all things. You cannot embrace this moral relativism that is infecting the culture. This idea of postmodernism and postmodern definition of truth. You can't do that and be an intellectually honest man. And you also can't do that and expect a society to produce good fruit. When your society has embraced these ideals, you you expect it or we expect it to be you know, the the idea and the theology behind basically behind progressivism is that all these good things will come, but it, it has gotten rid of the foundation. It's gotten rid of the chest inside of it. As Lewis would put, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. He says, you can hardly open a periodical without coming across the statement that what our civilization needs is more drive or dynamism or self-sacrifice, or creativity. But none of those things matter if you don't have moral, truth, traditional values. Things that never move, because they're in line with the natural law and the natural order of God. If you don't have those things in place, 
you don't have a foundation for a civilization. You don't have a foundation for a country, and you certainly don't have a foundation for the Constitution of the United States. And as I said, I talked about this in depth in the last podcast. Go back and listen if you want to hear about what is coming our way. You want to hear about why you need to be prepared as a man for the battle on the horizon. This battle that is uh, is being waged in a cultural war with censorship, with cancel culture, and how that's affecting those of us with conservative and Christian viewpoints and voices. What we need to do about it. All right, go check that one out. But I want to talk about this because this kind of gives the backdrop to that. It gives this this um, really understanding of the ideology and what we need to do to fight against it. And I want you gents to know that the Apostle Paul writes about this. He writes and he says in 1 Timothy 1-5, through this is the English Standard Version here, he says, The aim of our charge is to love that issues from a pure heart. So he says, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So those are the things we are charged with as Christians and as men. A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And if we... As followers of Christ, live as people with chests, men with chests. We're meant to be the leaders. Remember this. The leaders of our homes. That is what the masculine is. That is the part of our deepest purpose. If we as men who follow Christ and are men of God live as people with chests, men with strong hearts filled with God's truth, the world will take notice. It's undeniable. The world will take notice. Now, that doesn't mean that they'll necessarily take notice in a kind way. You you will uh, receive a lot of pushback. But it's absolutely necessary. If we ever want to get to a point where we have men with chests, where we have restored these values in our culture, then you need to fill your hearts with God's truth and live it out. Because more is caught than taught, especially in your, in your family, with your children. More is caught than taught. All right, gentlemen. So let's be men with chests. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to build men with chests. We're trying to build kings. We're trying to be lions. Let's take these role models. Let's take these ideas and let's really embrace them and run with them. Bring it back to our culture. This is something that we used to have. This was something that our country was founded upon because men believed these ideals and they lived them out. And as relativism has snuck in and, and destroyed that very foundation, this is what we get as a result. So there is a little bit of wisdom from C.S. Lewis today, and that's my little, I guess you could say my little sermon on it. All right, but I just want you to take that to heart and really embrace that and go read the book, The Abolition of Man, and seek to live as a man with a chest, a real man, a man filled with God's truth. All right, gents, it has been a great time. I've enjoyed talking with you today. I want to encourage you to please, if this has resonated with you, if this message 
this movement has resonated with you, then I want you to join along, follow along. And the best thing you can do right now to help is share and leave a rating and a review. That helps immensely. Go ahead and drop down there. Leave a Take a second right now and go leave a five-star rating and review. Share with the men that need to hear this, men that need to be and live as men with chests. And um, I would just say, go go ahead, like I mentioned before, go ahead and connect with me over on Instagram and on Twitter and Facebook. We got a brotherhood in Facebook called The Uncaged Lion Brotherhood, Strength, Honor, Courage. Go ahead and join there. You're going to be asked to answer three questions, a little litmus test, just so I know you're serious about growing as a man. We'd love to have you part of that. We want high caliber gentlemen over there so that we can learn to grow together. All right, go connect with me on Instagram. Super active over there at Uncage the Lion. I'd love to hear what you thought about this episode. Any questions, comments? And just get in touch with me, gentlemen. All right? Let's do this.